morning, everyone. <clears throat> so, I love that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, the last song that we sung, thank you so much, dude, I appreciate it. Um, I get really dry mouth, but I, I want us to, to think for a moment behind that song. I didn't know we were actually going to be singing it today, um, but the reality of that is uh, there was an individual, his name was Horatio Stafford. He was the one that actually penned those lyrics. It's a fascinating song, and we can hear those words, and we can be like, it is well with my soul. What pleasantries, what niceness, what beauty is in that, right? That's awesome. It is well with my soul, but what does that mean? Like, does he know it is well with my soul? Has he experienced the pain that I've experienced? Has he experienced the heartache that I have been a part of, does he know the hurt that I have been? It is easy for somebody to say it is well with my soul if they don't know anything bad. When it comes down to it, Horatio Stafford actually lost everything in 1871 in the Chicago fire. Did you know that? He, had, he was a wealthy businessman. He lost everything there. And then from there, he lost his son to scarlet fever. That's what happened second, and thinking that it would be good for his kids and his family to get out, they set sail for England. He had to stay back to deal with some business expenses. And the ship that his kids and his wife were on sank in the Atlantic Ocean. This is a man who knows immense pain, challenging, difficult, As Horatio was sitting over the waters, that, that's when he wrote these famous words. And I just want to say these words and have that impact of what this man wrote. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know it is well, it is well with my soul. Because they had their hope in Christ, Horatio was not driven into immense despair. It was challenging, it was difficult, but this man still penned these words that we sung in the light of what happened. And I always find that crazy. And I just wanted to share that background with you before we get started. Because that song, the history behind it, breaks my heart every time. But makes me so joyful. Makes me so joyful. So we are still in the Light of the World series, as you can see up, up there. Um, we're going to be in it this week and then next week. Um, so some of you people who have been here in the past weeks, um, you will see that we're shifting up some things. We're trying to do some things different. We got different toys. We have these table laps and these little drawing pads and then snacks for the children. Because when we talk about we want the children in the worship with us, we want the children in the worship with us. And what that means is that they can sit and they can hear and they can understand and they know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ being united in one faith, that we are doing this, right? So we want our families here. 
Because if we believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters regardless of socioeconomic, race, all that stuff. We, we, we are united if we believe in Jesus Christ as king. So you will see this around, and it gives me so much joy because we even have new children here today. So um, some of the ladies that took time making food bags and cleaning up the toys and getting different things because we want the families here. We want to see families strengthened because we believe that that is the change. That's how we're going to see change in this neighborhood. That's how we're going to see change in our lives. It's because the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not just to come to church. It's not just to have some donuts. It is to be made disciples, to be made more and more in the image and likeness of Jesus. I say this weekly, that the will of God for your life is to be made more and more into the image of Jesus, right? We should look more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus, act more like Jesus. We should be patient and kind, loving, understanding, gentle. Fruits of the Spirit. So, that being said, if you have your guide, you open it up. Inside that guide, you will see the bullet points. The funny thing is, the neighbor see that last one, we're going to carry that over to next week. I switched up sermon last minute. My apologies, I just want to let you know. So you're not like, but Josh, you said four points. It's three today. Um, on this other side, you guys can write notes. Feel free. Scribble down anything. Anything that you like or want more, any questions about, go ahead. And then on the back, Tools for the Body, it shows you how you can give financially. The Observe, Interpret, Apply, uh, apply Bible Study Method and how we do this and a little bit about what we are. I just want to share that with you because I know there are some new folks here. And I want you to know that these aren't just put out for no reason. Also, on the front, we do have our catechism. Our catechism, that's a fancy word for question and answers. So we try to do at the Shortridge household is we try to talk about scripture at the dinner table. We do it in the morning and we do it at dinner time. And I know that might be challenging, that might be difficult, but this little piece of paper has a question, has the answer, and then has a Bible verse, right? We have Bibles in the back as free gifts to anybody that want them. But please, if you want to read this stuff or have any questions, reach out to me, reach out to, you saw the other Josh who was up here, Alex who was up here, and we would love to sit down and talk to you, because this is why we have missional communities. Missional communities is four of them throughout the city, but we do this so we can walk together in this. We're not in this alone, that we can feel the immense weight of like, how do I do this? This is too much. This is complicated. I feel alone. That's why we want to walk with us together. We're in this together. All right, that is my spiel for the morning. I wasn't expecting to talk about Horatio Stafford as well or this, but I think it's important. And I'll tell you why it's important. It's because Jesus sees. That's going to be what our sermon is going to be about today. Jesus sees. And then the disciples see Jesus and the blind man sees. This is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be in John chapter 9 about the healing of the blind man. Because the light of the world, who is Jesus, changes our sight. We are coming close to the end of the light of the world series here in the Gospel of John. This is chapter 9. We will do two parts, chapter 9, the first half, second half. Then we'll be in chapter 10, that is the good shepherd. And we're going to be learning about Jesus as he walks towards the cross. So we are in the Gospel of John. And I love this so much. Jesus puts his money where his mouth is in this context. 
Let me remind you, when we kicked off this series back in John chapter 8, Jesus says this, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says once again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's easy to make these kinds of statements. I can say this stuff and have no meaning, but Jesus' words have meaning. And I really want to draw into another story real quick to allude to what Jesus is doing here. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has another encounter with someone who has a disability. And this is how the story goes. Chapter 9, verse 1. And then getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him a paralytic laying on the bed. And then when, they saw, uh, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to himself, This man is blaspheming me. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For what is easier, pay attention to this, for what is easier, your sins, to say your sins are forgiven, or say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he says to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And then he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to man. Jesus is a man of action. He asked them, is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to show you this paralyzed man get up and walk? Jesus does this to affirm what he says is true, that Jesus is the one who can forgive sins. He proves that his words are true, and he heals them in front of the religious elite's eyes. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who better to hear that message than a blind man? A man who has only known darkness his entire life. His whole life was spent blind. It's easier to picture a man, but in this text, you see that he was born blind. So a baby born in darkness, a toddler born in darkness, a kid in darkness, a teenager in darkness, and then a man in darkness, a man who has lived his entire life not seeing. So what is easier for Jesus to say, whoever will follow me will not walk in darkness, but to prove that he is the light of the world? He will take a man who is born blind, never seeing light, and give him sight. Jesus isn't the one who speaks and does not act. When he says he is the light of the world, the one who follows him will not walk in darkness, he proves his words aren't empty. This should fill us with comfort. This should fill us with joy. After making the claim at the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, he puts feet to the claims that he will not only reverse the physical problems of the fall, the effects of the fall, but he will spiritually raise this man from the dead. So we're in chapter 9, looking on. Some interesting things that will happen here in this small section should equip us for the work of ministry. It should equip us for the work of the ministry. We're going to see how Jesus sees other people and why he doesn't shy away from people with disabilities. But he sees them and he wants to draw near them. That's my first point, right? I'm going to lay out where we're headed. Jesus sees people, right? Jesus sees people. Then we see that the disciples see Jesus. 
right? We will see how followers should be informed by Jesus on the true nature of what's really going on around us. That's my second point. Third point I have is true physical healing will take place to this blind man. We see that Jesus' words are not empty, but they, that Jesus Christ himself has the power to change lives. And then finally, my point was going to be, and I want to touch on it because I do think it's important, that the neighbors see the blind man. This man's life is radically different and changed, and they look at him and say, who are you? You aren't the blind man. And he says, no, I am. So we change when we encounter the Christ. We change when Jesus comes in. He takes a dead man to living. He takes a blind man to sight. He changes us. So that's the roadmap. That's where we're headed this morning. That's what I want to show you. Jesus sees, the disciple sees, the blind man sees. And I love this. First point, Jesus sees. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. If you've heard me preach plenty of times, you've heard me say the same thing. That I love the fact that Jesus sees. My prayer is for us that we would have eyes that are like Jesus, that Jesus over and over and over and over again, he sees people. And I want to touch just on the book of John and note down how active the eyes of Jesus are. In John 1.38, he saw his disciples and they wanted to come to him and follow him. Right? In John 1.47 through 50, he saw a devout worshiper and he commended them. John 5.6, he saw a crippled man and he healed him. John 6, 5, he saw a hungry multitude of people and he supplied food for their needs. In John eleven thirty three, he sees weeping mourners and he was moved for compassion for them. In John 19, 26, he saw a distressed mother and he provided provision for her. But in John 9, 1, he saw a blind man and he revealed himself as the light of the world. To be made more like Christ, we must see. And we must see people with hardships. We must see people in their pains. We must see people in their challenges. We need for a second to step out of our point of view. We do not need to let this moment pass by from us. Just glancing over this words. As he passed by, he saw a man. Jesus was moving. Pay attention to what happened at the end of John chapter 8, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. The last thing we see is Jesus leaving because they were trying to kill him. And what does Jesus do? Step into his shoes. Step into the heart of our Lord that Jesus speaks and make it clear that people are either sons of the devil or sons of God. He says these things, right? That's what we found out last week. He continues on this work. They want to kill him, and then he enters in. Jesus sees the unseen, he sees the forgotten, and he draws near. He doesn't just keep going, he doesn't just walk by, he keeps drawing near. He doesn't leave the suffering, he doesn't leave the brokenhearted, he doesn't leave the downcast, he doesn't leave the unclean, he doesn't leave the disabled. He sees his sheep because he is a good shepherd. And what did he do when he saw him? He moved towards him he moved towards him jesus is the one who moves towards people who we may want to overlook i want to say that again jesus is the one who moves towards people who we may want to overlook 
Jesus moves towards the hurting, the one who are at the end of their rope. He moves towards those who are poor in spirit. True compassion floods his heart. Jesus is the one who sees. I cannot stress this point enough, that if we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ, we need to also have his eyes. We need to be able to see. Jesus doesn't shy away from hard situations. He doesn't abandon those without hope. No, on the contrary, he goes out of his way to meet people where they're at. His words are not empty. He says that he is the light of the world. He says whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, and he means it. He does what is the most improbable and impossible task to prove it. He spent time with them. He moves towards them. Do we have a tough day? Do we just keep moving? Do we refuse to see the opportunities that ride around us? Do we miss the mark? Do we get it wrong? I know I have. I know I've missed people who are right next to me. I know I've missed people here today. But I'm also confronted with a passage like this, that I must be scripture saturated. I have to be in this book. I have to see a Jesus that goes into the hurting places, the painful places, and he enters in and he teaches us how to love well and lead well. If the will of God for my life is to be made more like Jesus, then I have to observe his actions. And if they don't align with my actions, I can pause and say, Lord, I need your help here. I need you to teach me how to see. I need you to realign me. I need to be more like you. This leads me to my second point. Is the disciples see Jesus. The disciples see Jesus. Verse 2, it says, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent us while it is still day. Night is coming and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Walking with Christ, we are bound to get our preconceived notions corrected. Walking with Christ, we are bound to get our preconceived notions corrected. The disciples missed the mark here. I want you to know that. They assumed that this man was blind, and it was a fault from his parents or from him. Jesus says, it is that the work of God might be displayed. When we notice suffering, when we notice the effects of the fall in the world around us, it's most easy and logical thing to do is to blame. We want to blame shift, right? It's easy to find a person's fault as the reason for their suffering. But I don't want you to mishear me, right? I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for your actions. My father, who is no longer here, he smoked all his life. He got COPD, had bad lungs, continued to smoke, and he died, right? He smoked a lot, and his actions resulted in poor lungs that did irreversible damage. Actions do have consequences, but that's not what I'm saying here. What I think